Good afternoon. This is our May the 20th, 2022 podcast, chapter 16, page 919. And uh, we're with Randy Engel. We've been, we're going to be speaking to her through her book, The Rite of Sodomy, Homosexuality and the Roman Catholic Church. We're in volume four, The Homosexual Network and the American Hierarchy and Religious Orders. I'm going to start out with chapter 16, again, 919. And what we'll do is I'll read a little bit. We have a special uh, a guest, a, uh, uh, can I call you uh, Brother James? All right. Here I go. In Homosexual in the, in the Religious Orders, introduction. We Christian brothers as a religious community are one of the few existing organizations that might provide a stable setting for working out homosexual love. The existing organization of brothers has not been accepting of homosexual expression in the past. There is still a problem of structuring the organization to allow for this variation. Nonetheless, it should not be necessary to exclude a person because he has developed a homosexual love for someone within or without the organization. For homosexual people who might wish to associate with us, we would provide aid or at least protection from repression. There is no immediate solution for the person of homosexual orientation. An organization of religious brotherhood is a natural bridge for the meeting of straight and gay worlds. Gabriel Moran, FSC 1977, Christian Brothers. Then we're going to read uh, from Thomas Aquinas. For Jerome, commenting on Galatians 5, 9, a little, he- a little 11, says, Cut off the decayed flesh. Expel the many sheep from the fold, the mangy sheep from the fold, lest the whole house, the whole paste, the whole body, the whole flock burn, perish, rot, die. Arius was put was but one spark in Alexandria. But as that spark was not at once put out, the whole earth was laid waste by its flame. St. Thomas Aquinas, Summa Theologica. Now I'm going to go on and then... Uh, Brother James, so far, were you able to hear that first paragraph? Didn't that sound a little odd? Yeah. All right, let me continue. It is one of the truly tragic marks of our age that many religious orders, once the glory of of the Roman Catholic Church, have become vehicles for the destruction of the Catholic priesthood and the epicenter of the homosexual collective within the church. The charge that the homosexual collective in the church in the United States took root in Catholic religious institutes and congregations before the diocesan priesthood can be verified from a number of different sources, including statements from both opponents and proponents of the homosexual collective. For example, former oblate priest Richard Wagner, who went from a religious to a producer of homosexual porno films, affirmed in a 1981 study, Gay Catholic Priests, that the homosexual movement in the Catholic Church began in religious orders, not the diocese of priesthood. In 1982, in the Homosexual Network, Father Rueda documented the important role that male religious orders have played in embracing, sustaining, and financing the homosexual collective. These orders include Jesuits, Franciscans, Dominicans, Salvatorians, Benedictines, Christian Brothers, Xavier Brothers, Holy Cross Priests, Paulists, 
capuchins, oblates of St. Francis de Sales, and oblates of, of Mary Immaculate. At least 57 U.S.-based religious orders, institutes, and congregations have publicly supported the whole the pro-homosexual activities and programs of the Catholic Coalition for Gay Civil Rights and or New Ways Ministry. Five Catholic religious orders and institutes operating in the United States are covered in depth in this chapter. The Order of Friars Minor, Franciscans. <coughs> the Society of Jesus, Jesuits. The Order of Preachers, Dominicans. The Society of the Divine Savior, Salvatorians. And the Society of St. John. There is also a short report on the Legionaries of Christ. Before examining specific religious orders, however, let us look at the special nature, structure, and rules of religious orders that distinguish them from the secular or diocesan priesthood with which most readers are likely to be more familiar. Now, uh, brother, brother James, you're in the Car- you're the you're with the Carmelites. You've had a relationship with the Carmelites as a secular member. Is that true? Yes, at one time. Okay, and uh, that was a lifetime commitment. So, although you can't make the community, you're still in. They haven't thrown you out. Right. Okay. Good. Now, uh, so this is the first time you've been in this podcast. Now, uh, and uh, so did you want, so this is kind of a, this is, we're making an audio book, so you, our two buddies, your brother can maybe talk about this. You'll have to lean into this and talk right into there if you can, if you pick it up. You want to, yeah, just like that. Is that right? Yeah. All right. Would you like, so this is kind of a practice podcast. This is a training podcast. Would you like to maybe start and read what I read and we can comment on it? Would you like to try that? You start here at 519. Well, you don't have to, but I thought as far as training, did you want to read it again? Because you're going to hear me, and then you'll want to be able to read while you're, you're, you're talking this close because it'll come up good. You've got a good, strong voice. Did you want to try it that way and learn? Okay. Well, start right up there, and, uh, and if you go at a 45-degree angle, if you talk straight and that's at a 45, you'll do good. Okay. Go right ahead. Start we Christian brothers, as a religious community, are one of the few existing organizations that might provide a stable setting for working out homosexual love. The existing organization of brothers has not been accepting of homosexual expression in the past. There is still a problem structuring the organization to allow for this variation. Nonetheless, it should not be necessary to exclude a person because he has developed a homosexual love for someone within or without the organization. For homosexual people who might wish to associate with us, we could provide aid or at least protection from repression. There is no immediate solution for the person of homosexual orientation, and the organization of religious brothers is a natural bridge for meeting of straight and gay worlds. Gabriel Moran, FSC, nineteen seventy-seven, Christian Brothers. And then, if you continue on, and then you can stop, we'll pick up there. That's Thomas Aquinas's response. For Jerome, commenting on Galatians five nine, a little eleven says, "Cut off the decayed flesh, expel the mangy sheep from the fold, lest the whole house or the whole pace." The whole body, the whole flock, burn, perish, rot, die 
Arius but one spark in Alexandra. But as that spark was not at once put out, the whole earth was laid waste by its flame. St. Thomas Aquinas, Summa Philologica. All right. Now, this is your first, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and pick up where we left off at. And then you're kind of getting the, the hang of it, right? What do you think about podcasting so far? This is it, buddy. This is it. It's not that hard, is it? Not yet. Okay. Well, wait till you get your paycheck. It don't get any better. <laughs> I got like, I don't think I got my first paycheck. All right. Let me continue on. Well, <clears throat> let me continue on. Before examining specific religious orders, however, let's look at the special nature, structure, rules of religious orders that distinguish them from the secular or diocesan priesthood with which most readers are likely to be more familiar. So uh, what happened here? uh, uh Brother Jim, is that uh, James of Mary is your name in religion, right? Right. All right. And then uh, you and uh, Mike and Don, and, and we were talking about some of these, and, and you were asking a lot of questions, the whys, weren't you? This is all new to you, isn't it? When you're just yes. this, what? Shocking, isn't it? Yes. Okay. And uh, if you had known this, and these individuals were asked you, well, can you give me a donation? Would you give them a donation? Um, no. It, it wouldn't seem right. That's the right answer. That's, that's right. I got my brother, <laughs> I got you hooked up to electrical current. You didn't feel that current, did you? <laughs> uh, not at this time. You, you got the right answer. <laughs> you had to think about that. Well, we're laughing because it's kind of nervous doing this, isn't it, a little bit on a podcast? Yes. Okay. And, uh, I, huh? You're kind this of, is something new. Yeah. But the motivation of electrical current surging through you, yeah, that kind of motivates you to be thinking in the right, proper manner, right? Right. All right. Let me continue. And uh, anytime you want to come in, but if you get a chance to see this, we've had up to six or eight people, and we're going to be doing this is like an audio book. We'll do a little studies because Brother Mike would have two cents to say. And I'd like to hear about, uh, uh, Don, Brother Don would would go off like a Roman candle at this stuff, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. because people don't know about it. They don't know about it. Religious orders and evangelical councils. Religious orders in the Roman Catholic Church are institutes of consecrated life distinguished by the perpetual observance of the evangelical councils uh, of perfect chastity, voluntary poverty, and obedience to lawful authority and the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Did you see there where it says lawful authority, uh, Jim? Yes. Okay. Obedience. That means, that's right, obedience. Obedience is, let me comment on that because it was my job in the order to do some formation. Isn't that right? Right. Okay. You're getting all these answers 100%. Yeah, that, I, how do you do it? <laughs> Did you study? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the point is lawful obedience. Keep this in mind, folks, so about obedience. No one can command you to do something that's unintelligible. So I can't say to Brother Jim uh, to stand on my roof of my house, flop your arms like a bird and chirp like a bird and jump and try to fly. I command you pursuant to obedience. That's not lawful obedience because it's an unintelligible act, right? 
I, another thing, and why is that? Because the whole point of these evangelical councils and, and the, the promises are to order your life to God. And God is intelligible. So you do something that's intelligible. The next thing is that uh, I can't order you to do something that is evil because God is good. And you're ordering, you're ordering things to God's will. God is good, and that's contrary to common sense. Another thing is something that, so unintelligibility, you don't order evil, you can't order somebody to be evil. Uh, and then the next thing is that lawful, okay, I can't say to you, uh, pursuant to your vow of obedience to me, Mr. Brother Jim, rob the bank, steal from your neighbor. I can't order you to do that. That's not lawful obedience. Would you agree, Jim? Yes. All right. I'm glad we've seen that eye to eye there. So just want to comment on that because uh, I was involved in uh, teaching these for several years and uh, wanted to, to let people know that. So let me continue lawful uh, theological, uh, lawful obedience. Let me continue on page 920. The oldest of the religious orders are the monastic orders which took root in the East under St. Basil the Great, 329 to 379 A.D., father of the Oriental monasticism, and St. Benedict of Nursia, Nursia, 480 to 547 AD, father of Western monasticism. Dominating the Middle Ages were the mendicant orders of St. Dominic and St. Francis, which practiced the evangelical councils and theological virtues within the framework that embraced both the contemplative and active spiritual life. Mendicant order simply means, my comment, mendicant is begging. They, they, they went about asking for support. There were also military orders that dated from the 12th century. Did you know that, Jim? There were military orders. So when they talk about, well, you know, pacifism and you, can, you can't oppose evil, well, military orders did. These are religious men. Okay. Uh, are you following me there? You see that? Well, I don't know about the Crusades. That's part of it. But the Crus we're talking about Military or men who came together to serve God in military orders, and uh, because there are others that talk about uh, niceness, and you can only the only Christianity has to be nice. Christ opposed evil. The uh, church has opposed evil. The dominion of the lie, the empire of injustice, is been has been and continues to be opposed and should be opposed. Let's continue. Military orders that dated from the 12th century whose members, while observing all the essential obligations of traditional religious life, had as their main objective the armed defense of Christ and the Holy Land. That's, that's what you say, the Crusades. And finally, the Hospitallers orders, whose members were vowed to perpetual cha chastity and the service of the sick and poor. Until modern times, the foundation underlying all religious life was that man should deny himself, not realize or actualize himself. The vows taken by candidates for religious orders are not mere negations, but a positive affirmation of Jesus' invitation to the first apostles. Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. In addition to religious who bind themselves to perpetual or permanent vows, there are some religious institutes commonly referred to as societies of apostolic life, such as the Oratorians of St. Philip Neri, the Paulists, the Sols that do not profess vows although they live the common life of religious. Some orders offer a fourth vow, the Jesuits, for example, 
have a fourth vow uh, of direct obedience to the Pope for special missions. Besides the common end of religious life that makes it a school of perfection, each religious order has uh, each religious order has a special charism or calling connected to a particular ministry in the church, such as the care and occupational training of orphans, Christian brothers, education, Jesuits, preaching, Dominicans, and the contemplative life, Benedictines. Missionary enterprises for the propagation of the faith have traditionally been entrusted to religious orders such as the Holy Ghost Fathers, the Marino Fathers. In times past, religious orders, priests, and monks, like nuns, were always instantaneously recognized by their unique habit or style of dress. So, Jim, did you want to continue on for a little experience? Uh, and uh, we picked up missionary. This would you pick up right there. Religious bind themselves to live in a community in accordance with the rules and constitutions ratified by their order and approved by the Holy See. They owe their obedience to their provincial or prior, who in turn direct, is directly responsible to the superior of the order who usually resides in Rome. All recognized religious orders fall under the authority of sacred congregation for religious and secular institutes. Ultimately, they are responsible to the Supreme Pontiff who has the power to call a religious order into existence or suppress it completely. Religious may hold ecclesiastical offices in the church, including bishoprics, cardinalates, and even the office of Supreme Pontiff. However, there have been occasions when the head of an order has opposed the selection of religious to higher office outside the order as the practice to diminish potential sources of leadership inspiration, and inspiration necessary to maintaining the vigor and integrity of the order. It has not escaped public notice that John Paul II, Pope John Paul II has placed religious at the head of two of the largest diocese in the nation, Archbishop Sean O'Malley of the Order of Friar Miners, Capuchin in Boston, and Francis Cardinal George of Oblates of Mary Immaculate in Chicago. In an attempt to <coughs> heal the two war-weary seas that have been plagued by clerical sexual abuse and systematic cover-ups by ecclesiastical authorities. Today, there are between 15 and 20,000 20, male religious in the United States, representing more than 120 different orders, congregations, and societies of apostolic life. This means about one-third of the priests in the United States belong to the religious orders rather than the diocesan priesthood. In large dioceses, male religious represent a significant portion of clerical work. For example, in Philadelphia Archdiocese, there are 564 diocesan priests 300 and 392 religious order priests representing 31 religious orders. The single largest operating in the Archdiocese is the Augustinian Order that staffs and operates five <coughs> parishes, two high schools, and Villanova College. Although 
order priests do not owe their obedience directly to the bishop in whose diocese they reside and work, nor near the diocese must approve in each and every religious that works in the diocese. A bishop has the canonical power to order an individual religious or in extreme cases an entire order out of the, his diocese. Before the dispute reaches this point, however, the Holy See generally steps in to med mediate the dispute that may involve a case of moral turpitude in the case of an individual priest or brother, but more, but is more likely to be a power of, or financial issue if the whole order is involved. Religious order priests differ from diocese priests in the number of significant ways. Most order priests take permanent vows. Diocese priests voluntarily make a promises celibacy as required by church law and a promise of obedience to the bishop at the time of ordination. They are, however, not bound by vows of poverty. Seculars earn a modest salary and are permitted to retain their own financial assets, including inheritances, rather than turn them over to the order, as in the case of, with religious. Religious traditionally live in the community, while diocesan priests generally reside at their parish rectory, either alone or with other priests. In recent years, however, a large number of religious and some diocesan priests have been given permission to live alone in private apartments apart from their community or parish. As one might expect, there is often a degree of tension in a diocese between diocesan priests and religious who have different structures of authority and different goals and tasks. On the one hand, religious orders have always fiercely guarded their independence from the ordinary in whose diocese they reside. <coughs> On the other hand, since they would necessarily have to live in a given diocese and abide by the rules and regulations laid down by the sitting bishop, many religious want a voice in the decision-making process of the diocese. At you want to take a break there? Okay, we'll talk about the national level, but what uh, what are you picking up so far? Anything new to you? Is this a difficult topic, Jim? No, actually. And uh, what can you did you know about Randy Engels before to, uh, about this? Did you ever know that there was there's four volumes, docu maybe five, documenting homosexuality in the Catholic priesthood in America? No. And uh, do you, and you've heard about it? I mean, we've it doesn't. No. You've heard about homosexuality in the priesthood. You think it's a problem? Yes. And are you happy that your money that you give to the church is going to pay for lawsuits to pay off the lawsuits because the priest had sexually assaulted or abused people? 
No, it could have been used in better ways. I agree. I'll continue, and then uh, let me continue. We're at the 24-minute mark, but at the this is a training. You're learning a little bit. So at the national level, religious orders are not formally a part of the USCCB structure, although they are represented through various USCCB committees. The Conference of Major Superiors of Men, CMSM, founded in 1956 and canonically approved in 1959 by the Sacred Congregation for Religious and Secular Institutes, is the national representative body for men in religious and apostolic communities in the United States. The regular membership of the CMSM includes 258 major superiors representing some 120 religious orders and institutes. The CMSM maintains formal ties with the USCCB, the National Assembly of Religious Brothers and, Re and Leadership uh, Religious Brothers and Leadership Conference of Women Religious and other national agencies. So this is all the structural stuff. So, but uh, we're going to come on, and I'm going to continue on at 9.23. Are you, you know, some people don't like to talk about this. Are you okay that we continue? Yeah. All right. Although the rot infecting religious orders in the United States... And 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 Europe as well was well advanced by the time John Paul Pope Paul the twenty third opened the Second Vatican Council, the decline in quantity and quality of religious orders accelerated in the post conciliar era. As Romano Amario was has observed, all traditional religious orders have been decimated by great and small, great and small, male and female, contemplative and active from nineteen sixty six to nineteen seventy seven. The numbers of religious fell worldwide from 208,000 to 165,000. Vatican II did not reform religious orders. It disemboweled them. The constitutions and rules of religious orders, even those who have their roots in antiquity, have been mutilated beyond recognition. Historically, the term reform in the church meant stricter rules observances, discipline, and austerity, not less. The ultimate goal of a religious was to increase in holiness, not worldliness. Jim, do you agree to that? The ultimate, huh? Yeah, it seems to be coming, uh, they became more worldly. You, I, you would agree with the author, so would I. I yeah. Uh, you I want to increase in holiness. Yeah. And, and what prompted you to be here today is you were asking me some questions. You were puzzled. Do you remember what you asked me? Uh, why, why they uh, they don't do something about it in the church? Why, why are we stop? right? And I said, let's take a look and talk to Randy Engel. Is that about what I said? Yeah. And this is just a start. So you you haven't read this book before today, have you? No. Right. The original charism of the orders, and I, I said to you, Jim. There are people in the church that don't agree with the Catholic faith as you and I understand it. Did I t tell you that? They are there. Belladot put men in there in the seminaries who are c uh, communists to disrupt and destroy the Trojan horse. Do you remember me telling you that? Yeah. Okay. And this is some of the evidence. That's all. So it's difficult to look at. The original charism of the order's founders has been abandoned in favor of the spirit of novelty. 
stability in the form of strict community observances once the hallmark of religious life has given way to individual mobility on the part of religious that makes true community life impossible. Exclaustration, i.e. permission for a religious to live outside the community, has been granted by religious superiors on a here to unprecedented scale. As with diocese seminaries, religious houses of formation adopted new modes of living out the spiritual life with an emphasis on ease and lax discipline, especially in morals. And uh, <clears throat> chastity is, is both despised in theory and neglected in practice. Religious life is no longer a life of poverty, penance, mortification, and obedience to lawful authority. It is a life of becoming a person. What kind of person? Well, Find yourself. I, Jim, I don't know. We're going to follow this line of thought, but it's not, I don't think it's a holy person. No. I don't see a lot of priests standing up and saying, uh, we must be more chaste, and the active homosexual clergy, they're not, I don't I haven't known anybody that's challenged actual homosexual clergy saying they shouldn't do that. You agree? Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard them. Nowhere is the paradigm shift in religious life more noticeable than in the acceptance of homosexuals and pederasts as candidates for religious orders. When that happens, Jim, you were asking me, that's part of it. We were talking about how the good guys are excluded, good men, good by good men. The bad get involved, and then the bad get together as cronies. Did you have something to say? And they yeah, keep. Yeah, now they have canceled priests. Right. Good priest, canceled. Like Father James Altman. Yep. A lawyer. Did you know he's a lawyer? Yeah, yeah. he's a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, he told I've seen that. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's continue on page 923, colonizing religious orders. And uh, would you want to read a little bit and then get some experience? Just you go a paragraph, and if you want to go to, don't keep going, just stop whenever you want to. Okay. Uh, right right here start there maybe a paragraph or two and then I can comment on it you know. colonizing religious orders in the United States the homosexual engine of the church has been fueled by religious orders rather than diocese and clergy religious orders which by nature are self-enclosed self-regulating have become a prime target of the homosexual collective they have proven to be virtual gold mines in terms of the vast resources they put at the disposal of the collective. Although the individual religious may take permanent vow of poverty, the lo local province of the Priory have well-known established religious orders and the corresponding international corporate entity in Rome possess vast monetary assets. The inheritance of deceased members of a religious community usually goes to the order. Like the American bishops, the superiors of religious orders, both at home and abroad, have large slush funds that can be tapped to finance pet projects. Religious orders in the U.S. <coughs> file no tax returns, so it is impossible to track their funding, including monies diverted to pro-homosexual causes and organizations. The financial books of religious orders are not open to the di diocese, 
some cases we were regular members of the community and not been permitted to access their orders by natural reference. Some religious orders have used the tax exemption status to launder funds to homosexual groups, especially large contributions that come from wealthy individual donors. <coughs> this writer also suspects but cannot prove that the U some U.S. Religious orders have transferred their financial assets to their headquarters in Rome in order to escape court penalties award to victims of sex abuse committed by priests or brothers from their congregation. As a rule, religious orders are directly responsible for their finances and financial administration and Holy See respects their autonomy. It is a rare occurrence for a Vatican inspector to take control of the finances of a religious order unless the threat of or reality of public scandal and exposure related to gross financial irregularities forces the Pope to intervene. All religious orders have newsletters and house publications that can be exploited by homosexual by the homosexual corruption. Some orders like the Paulist and the Jewish Jesuits publish their own magazine or book, which can provide the collective with a free, ready-made conduit promoting its ideology and political agenda. One of the earliest examples cited in by Rietta was a pro-homosexual editorial that appeared in June 25, 1977, issue of America, a popular Jesuit magazine. The editorial reads in part, The use of biblical injunctions against homosexuality by Anita Bryant and her followers was hopelessly fundamentalistic. Theological scholarship recognized today that the application of scripture texts that condemn homosexuality is dubious at best. The phenomenon of homosexuality, as it is understood today, covers too wide a range of inclinations and behavior patterns to be subject to sweeping condemnation. Furthermore, the overall tone and principal argument of the Save Our Children campaign, headed by Bryant, not only lacked Christian compassion toward homosexuals, but also violated basic justice in perpetuating the lie. There is no scientific evidence to suggest that children are more likely to be molested by homosexuals than by heterosexuals. Let me let me comment there. So you you got what's going on there. There's a Jesuit order that owns the magazine America and they're printing their ideology contrary to the scriptures that we believe are uh, inspired by God. Did you catch that? Yeah. Yeah. I'll continue on here. That's not good, is it? No, not. And, and nobody challenges them. Our bishop hasn't challenged them. I've never seen the priest in uh, Father Andy or Father, or the bishop, anybody. I, nobody challenges. They just keep their mouth shut, right? Right. They're shepherds. They're supposed to cry out when the wolf appears. Yes, they should. All right. I'll continue. <clears throat> Religious orders own a great deal of property and are in a position to provide conference halls and housing 
for homosexual collective functions, including gay lectures, retreats, and political meetings, including gay political caucuses. <clears throat> Older order priests hold important chairs at Catholic universities and can play an invaluable role in indoctrinating students in favor of the philosophical underpinnings of the homosexual collective, especially in field in the field of biblical scholarship. Let me continue. Religious orders and criminal molestation. Remember, he just made, America just said, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with, there's no problems. This is in 77. We didn't know at that time as lady, but they knew, but all of this abuse is going on, and we spent three or four billion dollars of our lay money to pay for their sex. I'm not happy with that. Let me continue on page 925. Religious orders and criminal molestation. A sizable number of order priests have been involved in sexual abuse and sexual misconduct allegations in U.S. dioceses across the country, but with rare exceptions, they have managed to escape the media's attention because the religious life of an order priest, as a rule, is more private than that of a diocesan priest who serves in a parish or works for the chancery. Cash settlements to victims of sexual abuse or misconduct by religious orders can be handled in a more secretive manner as can the demands of blackmailers. Some religious orders have become adept at, at hiding their financial resources by creative bookkeeping or by transferring their assets to their superiors in Rome. Many Catholic male religious orders own and operate all-boys private secondary and preparatory boarding schools and private day schools as well as church camps, all of which have become a popular hunting ground for clerical pederasts. Since most religious orders operate international religious houses and priories, clerical criminal sex offenders can and have been shipped aboard abroad to escape criminal and or civil prosecution with the full knowledge and assistance of their superiors in the United States and Rome. Some religious orders, by virtue of their loose-knit rules and infrastructures, have more vulnerable, are more vulnerable to take over, to be, to take over by homosexual cliques than others. The post-Vatican II fad of permitting religious to live outside the community in private quarters has provided a more fluid environment for those members who are living in actual homosexual life, or living an actual homosexual life. There is no one to monitor their comings and goings or their long line of particular relationships. Do you, do you understand what they're saying there, Jim? You want me to comment on it a little bit? or? Yeah, right. And after Vatican II, I never realized this. They can live out on, by. I guess I've seen the nuns. Yeah, live in their own apartments. We see that in Davison where they have the retirement house, you know. Some orders like the missionaries of precious blood have refused to implement AIDS testing for candidates to the, re, to the religious. In after-the-fact cases more... Uh, in after-the-fact cases, morally wayward order priests and brothers who have contracted AIDS through homosexual activity have been hidden away in hospitals and medical facilities operated by the religious order. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops has opposed mandatory AIDS testing for seminarians to the diocesan priesthood and the religious life. Did you know that? There's no mandatory AIDS testing for, uh, uh, for seminarians and diocesan I'm, I'm wondering if there's any criminal background checks either. I would think there should be, don't you? Right. Do you have a criminal background check if you work for the government? You have to tell them where you work at, but didn't you have to have one? Yeah. 
so. We had to get famous. I had to have one too, right? Yeah. Yeah. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops has opposed mandatory AIDS testing for seminarians to the diocese of priesthood and religious life. Ironically, one of the great blessings of religious life, that of the intimate bonding of brother with brother in Christ, has been turned into a cover for vice and criminal activities. Isn't that disgusting? Are you starting to see more of a picture, Jim? Is this is this helping you answer the question you ultimately wanted to know? We'll, we'll do a little bit more of this, but there is no question that religious life by its very nature promotes great greater personal ties and loyalties amongst its members than the diocesan priesthood. When a member of a religious order has fallen, no matter how grave the crime, the instinct of the member of the, the members of the order is first and foremost to protect the offender, their brother, from the consequences of his actions, up to and including participation in a cover-up. That's pretty sad. Well, you ask, why don't they get the brother help to cover it? No, why don't they get the brother some? Um, that's a good question. Psychological so, help instead of covering it up. That's a good question. You know, doesn't make sense. Unless they're worried about lawsuits, they're worried about it. They're worried about the image. Maybe you think that's possible. They do, but uh, I don't know if they always trust them and what if, you know. I don't know the answer, but I can see it's not. You got a good question. It, it, it's not right, is it? It's not common sense, is it? The unwillingness of most religious to offer fraternal correction to fellow brothers whom they know to be living debauched lives, homosexual or, or otherwise, or to bring the concerns and complaints to the attention of their superiors gives an advantage to those who wish to subvert the order for their own ends. Do you, do you follow the problem now a little deeper? Is that a yes? Yeah. Okay. You don't have to agree with it, and, and you ask a good question, but I suspect that, one, they might, and as you read this book, one, they don't think there's anything wrong with what they're doing, some of them. They think it's okay. It's just the difference between chocolate and vanilla ice cream. It's just a different flavor of life. What did you say? Don't they have to read the Bible? Yes, they do. How do they reconcile it with the Bible? I don't know. I don't either. Let come up. We'll continue. That's a good question. Even in cases where the religious has sexually molested a minor or a physically or mentally handicapped person, superiors of orders not unlike bishops are inclined to take matters into their own hands rather than report the crime to local police enforcement officials. Often, it is the lone whistleblower, not the offending cleric, who becomes the object of scorn and isolation in a religious community infected with pederasts and homosexuals. What does that mean to you, what they just said here? If you're a whistleblower, they, turn, they make you look like the bad person. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that disgusting? Yes. So what you just said, if you said, hey, why don't you get some help? Or if you go and talk to somebody, uh, uh, somebody you know, they might consider you a whistleblower for talking to the medical people. You think that's possible? Yeah. So I, I'm thinking there's a big bunch of denial going on. But I don't know. Let's continue. Did you want to start for, uh, for a minute and give me a break? I'm going to have a cup of sip of water. 
many religious orders the term infiltration in regard to the homosexual collective does not apply since these orders have no open door policy <coughs> welcoming gay candidates. Although an order may require a homosexual candidate to be chased for a short period of time before ordination, a provision which generally cannot be enforced, there is no question that the order is willing to accept homosexual candidates. In March, May of 1978, article in Studies in the Spirituality of Jesuits, William Berry, uh, S.J., argued that self accepting non-destructive homosexuals who believe that they are, have a con to the society of Jesus should be admitted to the novitiate. I see no a priori reason to adopt, to doubt the authenticity of the call, he wrote. Barry dismissed the dangers of placing a man with same-sex attraction in an all-male environment that demands celibacy said that the seminaries are no longer the cloistered hothouses of the past. However, he did voice concern that a homosexual <coughs> novice feelings might be hurt by offhand and cruel remarks about homosexuals. Barry appeared to be oblivious to the reality of homosexual solicitation or acting out of homosexual behavior at the seminary or the fact that a certain percentage of homosexuals will act out their perverted sexual fancies with minor boys. Whether a person is homosexual or heterosexual in orientation is not a matter of for public knowledge, Barry said. He concluded that Jesuits in the past were either, whether homosexual or heterosexual, have been able to live with relative wholeheartedness, a life of consecrated virginity and service to the Lord and to his, in his kingdom. Rueda has a more traditional, realistic take on the admission of homosexuals to religious life. He notes that a religious house with several homosexuals constitutes a veritable power, powder keg, not only because of the danger of liaisons between the homosexuals but because of their potential to molest or seduce heterosexual members of the community to whom they feel attracted. Once homosexuals are received or actively recruited into an order and take their final vows, the tendency of their non-homosexual brothers is to bury their heads in the sand and hope for the best. It isn't until the homosexual young Turks take over the order and cast these poor souls out onto the streets without money or a roof over their head or health insurance that reality begins to sink in. By then it's too late for them and too late for the order. What's he saying there in your, in your words? So they just let it go until it's... Um, they take over like it's no. like the three months see no evil hear no evil speak no evil yeah something like that well i'm gonna this is the we're coming up on a scandal but we've done 47 minutes here uh it doesn't seem like we've done 47 minutes does it when you're having fun huh this is tough right. stuff it's painful
And uh, have you heard any of this before, Jimmy? Uh, not like this, I don't think. Not this much information. No, I agree. And uh, it, it is not easy to take. And it's painful to hear. Painful to hear. Yeah. What do you think God thinks about all this? Uh, not right. Probably wants them to correct their the situation. What would Bear you back to what it should be? What's our responsibility as laity? To make them aware they're not doing, going the right way to holiness, right? Well, th that's true, but uh, uh, what if we make Rome aware of what's going on locally sometimes? What if we don't give our money to support them financially, those who are, are living out sinful lives? We're paying for that sin. They can't exist without our money. Is it, you know? Then if you, you're cutting off some of the legitimate people that are... That's right. So we have to talk about that in the future. How do you do that? How do you cut away the cancer? Then right. We're running out. We've got 30 seconds. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Mount Carmel, pray for us. St. Joseph, guide us to protect us. And uh, I said 30 seconds, but I could be wrong. I might have misread this, but we're going to take this up here now. But let's come back to this. Would you come back to the program? Yeah. Would you come back? Yes. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs>